Good morning, everybody. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Kufi Beis in Maseches Bavakama. Really, we're just starting from top of, top of Kufi Alpha, from Beis, the last parak in Maseches Bavakama. Did I say Bavasar? Last parak in Maseches Bavakama. They call it Hagozel Basra because last parak was Parak Hagozel, and now Hagozel again. This is a different case. It's a case of stolen goods. Uh, hopefully, Sandy. Well, uh, her surgery will go very well today, Bezat Hashem, in the schos, and there should be shoes full of Klal Yisrael. Uh, okay, so, and Moshe Aziz, look out for me. I'm coming to Brooklyn, Bezat Hashem, Shabbos. So tomorrow, I'll already be uh, uh, en route. Whenever I go down there, go up there, I visit my mother, Zelzayin Gizon. So I'm going to be visiting her tomorrow, and then in Brooklyn for Shabbos. Says the Mishnah. Hagozel machos banav. Right, so stolen goods. A person is a gozel. And now the question is going to be like this. Either he feeds it to his children, right? So the thief feeds the stolen goods to his children, or or the thief passes away and they inherit it. Right? So the question here is, we know already, we just discussed what the gozel has to do in terms of restitution, paying it back, the chomesh and the asham and all of that. Now these children are benefiting from the stolen goods. Do they have to return it? Do they have to pay Chomesh and Hashem? Do they have any culpability at all? So let's see. The Mishnah says they don't have to return it at all. They don't have to, they could just keep it. Keep it? So Rashi knows that this has to be more complicated than that. You have to see exactly what the case is. So Rashi said, don't worry, the Gemara is going to talk about what the case is. Fine. Similarly, and then the Mishnah just concludes, But if what was stolen and then passed over to the children was real estate, right, like Karkos, then they would have to pay those back. So we're going to discuss, kick this around. What's the case? Says the Gemara. Okay, so now the story is like this. Something was stolen from Andrew. And Andrew never gave up, right? Didn't have Yehush. Rav Chista says that if um, somebody goes to the thief, right, and then takes it, right, then, Andrew, at that point, could take it from the thief or the person who currently has it, right? So a thief takes from Andrew and then somebody else takes it from the thief. Andrew does get collect. Now, that's because why? My taima. What's the reason? Because call, call, because so long as Andrew had not given up on this object, that's a clean Svara, a clean logic, which is to say, it's still in Andrew's Rishus, Rishusei Demare Kai. In other words, Andrew didn't give up on this object ever, which means it's still his, which means that even if it's taken from him or given to the second and a third and a fourth person, anybody who has it in his possession actually has Andrew's thing, right? Nobody would say that when the person, so long as Andrew did not have Yehush, then it doesn't matter how many iterations, how many uh, different people it goes to, they're all holding on to Andrew's thing. So Andrew just goes and gets his thing with whoever has it right now. Now, um, right, the point is, if he's taking the money, we'll see what the story is, right? Because that's, it's still not 100% clear. Is this thing is in existence? Okay, so let's see. Right, the object certainly, where if it was still in existence, Andrew can go get it. Says the Gemara, it's none. So our Mishnah seems to contradict Rav Chista. So again, Rav Chista says that Andrew goes back and retrieves his thing from anybody. However, our Mishnah said what? That if somebody steals and gives it to his children, 
they're potter from paying. So what's the distinction between our Mishnah and Rechista's statement? Says the Gemara, our Mishnah, it's not. HaGozol machas bono v'niach lefneim p'turim nishalem, right? Quotes our Mishnah and says that if a person steals and feeds his kids, then they don't have to pay. So to you, to the Rechista, is our Mishnah a contradiction to Rechista? Rechista says Andrew does uh, take it. Our Mishnah says that once it's passed along, Andrew doesn't take it. So says the Gemara, Amar of Rechista, how would Rav Chista reconcile his statement with our Mishnah? That all the cases where you would say that you do not have to pay back, like our Mishnah, would be after Yehush. In other words, Andrew already gave it up. Once Andrew gave up on it, then he's, it's no longer considered his because it's had at that point, and going back to like the Lumdish uh, actual terms that we use, it's had... A Yush and also a Shinu Rishus, right? That's already changed hands. And Andrew already gave up on it. And therefore, at that point, it becomes the property due to the fact that it changed hands and Andrew gave up on it. It becomes the property of the next person that got it. So even if it's the children of the person, of the thief, at that point, it's no longer considered Andrew's and Andrew cannot retrieve it from them. Okay, we'll, we'll kick this around a little more. Ten lines down, two dots. We're going to have the quote. What, what about the inheritance? What's the difference between the inheritance um, and, the, uh, and, and the fact that they ate it? So the Mishnah, in terms of the halacha, doesn't give a difference. That's either way, Pater and Mishalim. So what's the, uh, what's the point of this extra point of the Mishnah of inheritance? Amar Rami Barchama. Amachlokas between Rami Barchama and his Chavrusa Rava coming up. Here we go. We love these. Zot Omeret. Rishus Yorish Kirshus Lokach Dami. I'm Bahama saying the following that when you have an inheritance, as we do in our Mishnah, it's like Rishus Yorish is like Rishus Lokach. An inheritance is like a purchase. It's similar, right? Dummy? In what way? In the sense that it's considered a Shinui Rishus, as Rashi explains. In other words, right, that whereas you might have thought, as Rava does think, that an inheritance means that it's still in the same family, right? So, again, if it's after Yehosh, now we're starting to piece together some of the puzzle, right? So, so if Andrew had something stolen, right? And that person, let's say, the thief dies, but it's still in his estate. So you might, one might say there's no Shinri Rishus. Well, if there's no Shinri Rishus, so then even if Andrew had Yehosh, right, it's still in the possession, he, could, he should be able to, to retrieve it. Whereas if you hold that there is a Shinui Rishus, that when the thief dies and it goes in inheritance, it's as if he sold it to somebody else, so that if Andrew had Yehush, he cannot retrieve it. Okay, so what Rami Barcham is explaining is our Mishnah says that there's no distinction between Agozol Machel's Bonov or if Heniach Lefneim. There is no distinction between giving it to your children, selling it to your children, or, or bequeathing it to your children. Either way, each, whichever way they get it, it's all considered the same halacha that they that you, the, they are putter from paying back. So that seems to indicate that inheritance is the same as a sale. That's all. So Rava, however, disagrees. He says, Wow, that the two are very different. That inheritance means it's still in the same rishus as the thief, as opposed to selling which or, or giving it to them, which it's not. So, what, therefore, how do you explain our Mishnah where inheritance and giving over has the same halacha? Yeah, that an inheritance is one thing, but when you inherit it and then you eat it, well, once, you've, once the item is already consumed, it's gone, right? 
But what Rabbi is saying is that otherwise, if they had not consumed it, they would have to pay it back. So, so you know, Rabbi Barham is a little cleaner in our Mishnah because our Mishnah is talking in the abstract and the Mishnah seems to say that giving it to them to eat and, right, letting them inherit it would have the same halacha. Rav is saying that's only true because they ate it. So he like, has to read that into the Mishnah. And because they ate it, so then the inheritance would be the same thing. Yeah, because once they ate it, it's, it's, or it's gone and then they don't have to pay it back. But if, it was, if they inherited it and it was still extant, right, still in existence, then they would have to pay it back. Says the Gemara, The Gemara says, you know, Rava, you're a little difficult to read in our Mishnah because when you continue reading the Mishnah, the Mishnah says that if it was real estate, then they do have to pay it back. Well, Well, just like real estate is still extant and in existence, so one would assume that that's true consistently throughout the Mishnah, except for the first case where it explicitly says that they ate it. The second case should be more like the third case where they bequeathed it, right? They inherited it, and it's still in existence. So the Gemara is basically telling Rava, the idea that they ate it in the, in the case of inheritance doesn't seem to be so consistent with our Mishnah. So the Gemara says, Amal Rava, Rava would answer, this is what the Mishnah is saying. Wow, a totally different thing. He's understanding when it says, it doesn't mean that the halacha by land and real estate is different than the halacha by metaltalim and other objects, it means a totally different thing. It doesn't mean that land you, set, you give back and, and, and um, movable items you don't give back. It just means that if you are, that if the children also inherit right, property, real estate, then they have to pay back the metaltalim from the value of this real estate. A totally different halacha. That when children also have real estate, they are actually uh, liable to pay, right? In other words, we would never ask uh, Yasomim, as it were, right? We would never ask these children to pay back Andrew out of their own pockets because we don't ever take children to court. But if we happen to know that they have a big giant inheritance, so then we'll take out of that inheritance you know what I mean? So they get a little bit less. That's the halacha that our mission is teaching, according to Rabbah. Totally not related to the distinction between Karkos and Miltalton and as far as having to pay Andrew back. Says the Gemara, the Hamasa the Shimon Berei, but Rebbe taught his son, not the lay Rebbe, the Reb Shimon Berei, Rebbe taught his son, Reb Shimon, Lo Davashesh Barachrais, Mamish, Elafilu Par Vachorish Bachomer Machamer Acharav. When he learned our Mishnah, and when Rebbe learned this Mishnah, father son learning, um, they learned that when it says that you have to pay back a davashesh he says it doesn't have to be mamish davashesh maybe if the, even a cow, right, with the plow, or the chamor machamer acharav, or, or guiding a donkey by walking behind it. But the reason you have to return it is because of the honor of the father, which is to say that when Rebbe was learning this with his son Rebbe Shimon and father son learning, he gave a reason that made it seem in our Mishnah, they may seem like our Mishnah was exactly talking about the fact that there's a distinction between uh, something that's metatalin, like an iPhone, and something that's real estate. What's the distinction? Real estate you could see, which is to say the following. Somebody stole Andrew's iPhone, okay? And then uh, he doesn't have an iPhone. Somebody stole Andrew's Nokia phone, right? His kosher phone. And so nobody knows that he has a Nokia kosher phone. It's in his pocket, right? So the comings and goings of this phone are 
unbeknownst to anyone, and therefore we allow the children to keep it because really, halachically, there's a shini rishus, and he had a yeush, and so we let the heirs keep it, fine. Because nobody is none the wiser. But if somebody took his land, now all of Baltimore knows that his land was taken. So it, you're not doing these, you're so many favors by letting them keep it. Because the whole, the whole town knows it's stolen goods. And that makes them look bad, it makes their family look bad, it's going to be bad for Shaduchim, it makes his father look bad, you're just keeping this bad thing alive. And it is for that reason, that's Mishum Kavod Avin. It is for that reason that we make them return it, right? It's for their own good that we make them return it. And when Mary was learning with his son, he was saying, and that would be true also, you know, and everyone knows Andrew drives an Acura. There aren't so many people in town who drives an Acura. All of a sudden, these kids are driving the Acura around town. They know it's Andrew's Acura. So he's saying the Hamar and the, and the cow would be similar to Karkos for the same reason. That those are things that you return back Right, it's a terrible example because obviously everyone Baruch Shem is living in Rabbi Esther, but but you, uh, but be instead those are things that you return back. Although the thief is the one that died, so we're good here. But the way Rabbi learned it with his son makes it clear that it's not about the karkos that the thieves right um, and that the thieves uh, children had it and. It's not about the fact that they had the assets in real estate and it's for that reason that they have to pay back Andrew. But rather, right, it's because of the fact that all of this stuff has Andrew's name attached to it. That's why we return it. So it sounds like, not like Rava explains our Mishnah. It sounds like it has to do with whether you return such items. So therefore, Rava's explanation in our Mishnah doesn't seem correct. So now Rava's going to have to agree that Rebbe interprets that Mishnah differently. However, Rava says, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I understand that that's how Rebbe learned it in Father's Son Learning with Rib Shimon, but I have a direct uh, source that learns the Mishnah like me, and I didn't make it up. I'm learning it from the following. When I pass away, Rebbe says of himself, Rebbe Oshia will come out to greet me. Okay, so Rebbe had already passed away. Rebbe was his Rebbe, and he's saying, listen, I, it's a, it's a uh, very... It's a very interesting language. He says, when I die, Rav Oshia will come to greet me because Rav Oshia had a pshat in this Mishnah and it is that pshat on which I'm basing it. And then he's just going to say his pshat in the Mishnah is straight up Rav Oshia. As follows. It says, because I just interpreted the Mishnah like him. Because we have a brysa learning like Rav Oshia. As follows. Now it's going to say exactly Rav's pshat. The person steals from Andrew and feeds his children. Peturim Misham. They don't have to pay. So now we see this little detail that we're going to uh, hash out. If they inherit it, so if they, right, if the property is still in existence, they didn't consume it, then Chayavin. They have to return it. If it's no longer in existence, then they don't have to pay it anymore. If, however, in, uh, together with everything else, they also inherited a lot of real estate, then they do have to pay. Exactly like Rav's shot. it's like this brysa is a very concise, right, uh, summary of Rav's shot in how to read our Mishnah. And it's exactly what Roshia said. So the brysa is quoting Rav Oshia. That's exactly what Rav sounds like. And Rav has his source, right? Keneged, Rabbi and Rabbi Shimon, they, they read the Mishnah differently. But that's Rav's source. Okay. So now, Amar Mar, Let's go back to this idea of the Yehush. Okay? We had Raboshia's Brysa, right? Says the Gemara, Amar Mar, Right? So, so Mara said 
that look at this, that extra wrinkle that we said in the Brisa explicitly from Rebosia. The, the extra idea was that they're potter to pay if the gazela was consumed. Well, Rav Chista had said that Andrew has a choice of collecting from anybody, right? So if Andrew has a choice from collecting from anybody, why are they potter if it's no longer in existence? Yeah, so every time it's going to sound weird, we're going to say, well, that must be a case where Andrew already had yesh. Once he had yesh and it's consumed, then of course they're not going to have to pay. It's Amar Mar, gazela kayemes. Right, so it's now another issue that this brisa has to be worked out. What about the fact that when the gazela is kayamas chayavan l'shalom? Maybe name of tavi to the Rabbi Barchama, Rami Barchama, right? In other words, either way, right? We said the, the brisa of Avoshia is where we see this extra wrinkle explicitly that if the gazela is not there, then they're potter. If the gazela is there, they're chayiv. So the gazela. Being Pater sounds like against Rav Chista. The Gazela being Chayev sounds like against Rami Barchama. So how do you reconcile it? Says the Gemara, Amalach Rami Barchama, Ki Tanya Hahi Lifnei Yehush. Right? So he's going to say the converse, right? Then the case where you have to pay back is Lifnei Yehush. So that Brysa has a, a case, Lifnei Yehush. And the Brysa, as we arrive at Kufid Beis and Aleph, has a case of after Yehush, when it's Lifnei Yehush. Then you do. Then Andrew does collect it. When it's Achiyesh, then Andrew can no longer uh, can, um, collect it. Okay, fine. So now we see the the idea, right, of Rami Barachama saying that his statement that uh, there was a machlokas Rami Barachama and Rava. Rava read the Mishnah exactly like Ravoshia, and he held that inheritance is. Is exact so there was a machlokas right inheritance he says is different. Rava said that inheritance is different than it has, than shini rishus. Inheritance stays in the family, whereas Rami Bachama says that inheritance is the same as shini rishus. So now we're gonna have a question. Ravada barava masayda laha the Rami Bachama aha. Ravada barava taught the statement of Rami Bachama in the following brisa. He says shil ribis. So a wild thing that the money that uh, father left for his children was interest that he had got back from a loan. So he wasn't supposed to get that interest. Says the Gemara, So even though these children, these inheritors, these heirs, know that this is ill-gotten money, this is non-kosher money, they don't have to return it. Why? So Rami Barachama saw this halacha and he said, that's because of the principle that I said in the base manager against Rava, that when you inherit something, it's like you bought it. Once, you, once it changes hands, it has rishus, right? a change of rishus, it's like, it's like a money laundering, right? At that point, you don't have to return it anymore because it's rishun rishus, and you can't say that the same, that, that it's like the idea of ribus where you would return it. Oh. So what would Rava say like that? So Rava Amar right? Rava has to address this, right? The statement was made with regards to whether you have to return ribis if you're an heir of ribis, and Rava has to has to say, well, if you're an heir, despite the fact that you're considered still in the family, why would you not have to return it? Says the Gemara, Vishayni Hacha, ribis is different. Why the Amar Kra Atikach Meito Neshach Betarbis Meito? The pasuk says, don't take interest, okay, from your brother. We're not supposed to take interest from each other. Says the Gemara, It means that you have to return the ribis in order for the sake of living together. 
Right, when we had this in Mishpatim, we were saying that you had to, a couple of weeks ago, not a coincidence of sorts, that you have to return it, okay? In order to understand that we are all living together. But that all has to do, right, the relationship of Ribis is more like a person and his brother, they have to coexist. So in order to coexist, we're supposed to all consider like we're all in it together. So we're not consider ourselves as a person, one and another, where it's like, I'm going to earn interest off of you. No, we're all bros. And therefore, we're all supposed to help each other out without any interest. But all of that is That's only between the principal parties having to do with the money, right? But once the deal's been done and everything, uh, and, and, and whether it was done correctly or incorrectly, let's say there was ribis, the children have nothing to do with it, right? Because their relationship with the borrower is totally outside of this ribis, and therefore it's the Torah specifically saying that when it comes to ribis, that heirs don't have that uh, any association with that ribis, and it is for that reason. It doesn't have to do with the fact, with the relationship between the father and his heirs, because that's not like a lokeach, that's still in the estate, it's just that the azhara of the Torah, right, the, um, the halacha of ribis only applies to the father, not to the children, and it's for that reason that they would not have to, the, it is for that reason uh, that they would not have to pay it back. Okay. So the Gemara says, Man Brisa, uh, an interesting observation, right? That we had this Brisa about interest. So if you hold that that's, that was true about the Brisa, so if you hold that the Brisa with ribbis has to do with the passing over of the stuff, you would certainly say that that's true of the Mishnah. Right, because that's, in fact, this, as we've already described, that's the simple understanding of our Mishnah. The Rami Barchama is more consistent with the simple understanding of our Mishnah, and you would certainly understand both of our, uh, the Brisa and the Mishnah as saying what? That when children inherit from their father, it's like a Shinui Rishos. As opposed to Man Masin La Masnisin, if you only taught Rami Barchama's idea with the Mishnah, you wouldn't necessarily learn it. Like uh, the brisa, like Rabbi Rachama, because of al brisa, Rabbi Rachama karava masnila. Because when it comes to the brisa, even Rabbi Rachama might agree with this far of his chavrusa rava that ribis is different. Right? Our Mishnah is not exact. Our Mishnah of the stolen item is very different than ribis, because ribis has its own, as we just said, its own pasuk as to why heirs would not have to return it. Whereas a stolen item, it may have more to do with Rabbi Rachama's principle of shinurishus. Right, an inheritance being a shenirishos. So now, thirteen lines down, Tana Rabbanan. Let's talk about again. The children are inheriting stolen property. A goes on Right, person steals and, and feeds his children. Peturin mishalom. They don't have to pay. Hiniach lefnaim gedon chayav mishalom katanim. Peturin milashalim. So now another wrinkle, another part of the bray. So it's fascinating, right? How our Mishnah is a concise, right, um, recording of all these little wrinkles in the braces. So what's the wrinkle over here? That it says in this brisa that if they inherited it, then only the gedolim have to pay it back. But ketanim that inherit, they don't have to pay it back. Aha. So the im amru right gedolim ainani yodim cheshbonu shechishav avino imach paturin. And even the gedolim, if they say we don't know what your father had dealings with you, why should we have to pay it back? We don't know what's going on. They're still going to be putter. The gemara can't believe this part of the brisa. So the gemara mishum de amra ainani yodim paturin. As Rashi explains, you don't have that ever in in uh, financial court, right? If you if you listen to the Kosher Money podcast with Andrew Singer, you'll know that any time a person says uh, you owe me money, and the other person says I don't know, 
Right? So Rashi says, Bitmiya. Rashi says, what do you mean? Every time you have Bari, Vishema, Bari is Adif, right? Anytime somebody says, you owe me money. And then the guy says, I don't know if I owe you money. Then of course we're going to believe the guy who says, you owe me money. That's called the Bari Vishema. One guy knows. The other guy's saying, I don't know. So how, why is it different with Yisomim? Yisomim say, we don't know anything about our father's dealings. Okay, but this guy is coming to you and he's telling you that you owe him money. So he does know the dealing. So why in this case, even though the, the right, Yisomim are saying that they don't know, we're still going to um, say that they're potter. Says the Gemara, Amarava, he has an answer. Halchi Gamar. Oh, then that's not a bari v'shem. It's a bari for bari. They say, yeah, we know that our father was square with you. He squared away everything. And nothing remains of yours in, the, in our possession. Okay, so Rav is saying, the bari is saying a different thing. They don't say they don't know. They're saying they do know. They say that he did pay you back. So now it's a bari for bari. Now the truth is it's still an exception. Because anytime you have uh, like a uh, litigants and somebody comes and he says, you owe me money. And the other guy says, I don't owe you money. We have to adjudicate the case. We don't say right away that the person says, I don't owe you money is going to win. That's unique to Yosomim, right? But be that as it may, and that's what, that's what uh, uh, Rashi is explaining over here. But be that as it may, even though it's an exception, it still makes more sense. It's not Bari Vashema, it's Bari Vabari. Everyone says... The, the person's telling the heirs, you do owe it. They owe, say they don't own it. So that's already something that we can, um, that makes sense. Okay, another bride said with the situation. Right? We keep pounding this case. Steals it and gives it to his children. So they don't have to pay. If he left it intact as an inheritance and then they consumed it, they do have to pay. Whoa. In other words, the distinction between what? He fed it to them, or he gave it to them, right, intact, and they fed it to themselves. So the Chiddush here is that even if they were Katanim and they fed it to themselves, they would be Chayev. That's unbelievable, says the Gemara. Katanim be Chayev, eh? What do you mean? Are Katanim ever Chayev? Says the Gemara. Lo ela dazuke, azik azuke. Meaning, in the worst case scenario, even if the Katanim didn't eat it, like, innocently, they actually injured, right, caused nezek or damage, Katanim still are not chayev even for damage. So what are you talking about? In what case, right? Even in the uh, even in the absurd extreme where they went out and smashed the dude's car, car uh, the Acura's windows, right? They themselves are never going to be chayev because they're children. So, so here where they ate it innocently, of course they're not going to be chayev. So the Gemara answers: Amar Papa, Achi Kamar, Hinech Lefnei Vadayin Loachlum, Bein Gedolim Bein Katanim Chayavim. Yeah. So Papa has to amend it, and he says no. It's not when they, when they ate it, but rather when they did not eat it. That if he left it before them and it's an intact inheritance, so then whether they're Gnolim or Katalim, they would have to pay it back. Because don't forget, if they didn't eat it yet, it's totally extant. Andrew didn't have Yehush, right? And, and, and Andrew comes and he says, oh, I see this thing, it's mine. So it doesn't matter what happened up to that point. He didn't have Yehush, he's just going to take it. He's just going to take the item. Okay, so now two lines up from the wide, Amarava. Let's talk about it, a little more about these heirs. Now, their father borrowed it. Okay, he didn't steal it, they borrowed it. Interesting. What's the status of a borrowed cow? Right, the father dies in the middle of a rental, right? So he rents a car for a month, and then he dies. 
says the Gemara, So children can use it for the rest of the, the rest of the lease. Okay. Mesa uh, chayavim um, But if it, but if the cow died, then they don't have to pay onus for unavoidable mishaps. Now that Rashi points out is unusual because usually, again, happens to be my father all of a shalom. It's going to be the thirty second yurtzite lave love this coming year. He passed away on Purim, so it's it's uh, the yurtzite's coming up. So. And it happens to be when he passed away, he, he was two weeks into a three, three-year lease on, on a car. So in this particular case, when we know that the halacha is when a person is a shoel, right? So this isn't a lease. This is a shoel. So when a person borrows something, they are chayev for onsen. When a person borrows, not lease, when a person borrows something, they're chayev if, let's say, they borrow a cow and the cow dies, they're chayev for that. That's what borrowing is like. You have a chayev for that. But what if somebody borrows it for a month and, the, and then the person dies and the cow is still alive? The children at that point are allowed to use the cow, but if the cow dies, they do not have culpability. Now, unlike their father who would have culpability for that, they do not. What's the reason? Because when the father borrowed it, he took on, that's what Rashi's saying, that he took on the tiruta. He took on, right, responsibility for it. They just inherited this thing, but they never had the mindset of taking on the responsibility for it and therefore they're not high for it. Okay. So now, says, What would be the case, however, if they thought that it was their father's, they didn't realize that their father had borrowed it, and now they said, you know what, let's make a banquet. And they shechted and eat it. So there they do have to reimburse the person who lent it to his father. Um, but, as Rashi explains, this is the whole sugya, right, where you pay back two-thirds. Why? Right, because we learned Bavasra Dafkufman Vav, the idea that really they only allowed themselves to make a banquet with it because they thought it was like theirs for free. Right? If they realized they had to pay it back, they they rather you know, it's one of those things where if you have it for free, so then you'll take it and you'll have fun with it. But if we know it's an investment, they would never go out and buy it, right? If they know that they, so for that reason they only have to pay the May Basra result. We'll get to that Okay, now, but if the father left them real estate, so the real estate or the land, that they do have to pay uh, for the borrowed animal from that property. So this is already sounds a lot like Rava, right? In fact, it is Rava who said it. Rava has, is consistent with himself that if they have right, a tremendous amount of land, inheritance, in that case, we do allow them to pay. Oh. So now... The, the Gemara is going to say it like this. This idea of if they have the real estate, some taught it referred uh, with reference to, right, this, this case of the borrowed, right? And some, and some were referring to, to, the, to the previous case, right? In other words, there's two cases. There's the borrowing and there's the Tvachua Vachlua, right? In the first case, they, they, uh, the father borrowed it and it died while it was in their possession, right? Father borrowed it and died, and died while in possession. In the second case, the father borrowed it, and then they didn't realize that he borrowed it, and they shechted it, right? So in which case do we make them pay it back? So some say that that idea that we make them pay him back if they have real estate has to do with only if they, our ratio, has to do with when they, um, they 
were still continuing the borrowing and they were aware of the borrowing. And some say that it was only when they were unaware of the bar- borrowing. So as the Gemara explains, man the masalai ratio kol shekinat seifa, right? So it's, the, the analysis is as follows, that he who says that it has to do with when they were aware of the borrowing and then it died naturally, they, so if, that, if they would have to pay back if they had real estate, in the case where it died naturally, then certainly they would have to pay back if they had real estate in a case where they actually shechted it actively, right? Because that's not an onsen. That's an active act. So of course they'd have to pay back. Okay, upliga der papa. And therefore that would be against Rav Papa, right? However, man seifa. But those who say it's only the case of shechting, aval reisha lo, behind der papa. But in the case where it died from onsen, then they're not going to have to pay it back. That's consistent with Rav Papa. Now, we don't know what our Papa said. Well, now we're going to find out. The Amr of Papa, because our Papa said, right, so with respect to, right, so if you're going to say that the only case where the children have to pay back if they have real estate is when they shechted it as opposed to when they just continued the loan, so that's like our Papa, because our Papa has a case of where, right, a person, right, had in his possession, uh, had a stolen cow, and then shechted it on Shabbos, right? And he's shechting on a Shabbos. Now, shechting it is Asr on Shabbos, okay? And stealing is also Asr. So all of these things are Asr. Chayev. But does he have to pay Dalad Vahey for, for, so we already talked about Kimlim and Ravimine, right? If, you're, if you are indeed violating Shabbos, which is a Chayev Misa, right, at the same time that you're stealing, then you don't have to pay Dalad Vahey. But if you're doing it at separate times, then you would. So says the Gemara, why is he chayv to pay dalad v'hey? Shekvar chayv begeneva kodem shiyovaladei iser Shabbos. Because he already stole it before he violated Shabbos. That's if he stole it. Uh, right? However, aysa par she'ula lo Shabbos. But if he was in the middle of borrowing it. So he's not yet a thief at all. Right? So again, if you're a thief, so then the second you steal it, you're chayv. For the theft, and you fall, and you and you chayav a dalav If subsequently you are tov, you shechted on Shabbos and incur a chayav misa, well, you've already incurred the 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 dalav from the theft. So that you're still going to have to pay. The fact that you subsequently a chayav misa doesn't uh, right does not potter you right doesn't absolve you from the dalav v'hei. You're going to have to do both because kimle only works when it's exactly simultaneous. What would be the case where it's simultaneous? Where initially you borrowed it. And that was kosher money. And then you shechted it. Then the act of shechting is your act of theft. And now your act of theft and your act of shechting are simultaneous. And it is then when you do not have to pay. Right? So I potter. Then you're going to be potter from the payment tree. So Shabbos, because then it is indeed simultaneous. Okay. So now, last word over here, six lines up, Tanar Banon. It says, Tanar Banon, Okay, let's talk about... Um, uh, where these halachas come from. It says in the Pasuk, Veheshev is Gzela Sher Gazel. You have to return anything that was stolen. Matam Lomar Sher Gazel. What do you mean, Veheshev is Gzela Sher Gazel? That's redundant, right? Uh, gazela, by definition, was stolen. So what do you mean? You should return the stolen item that you stole. Yachzer Kein Sher Gazel. It's teaching you uh, an idea that you have to return it as long as it's still in existence. Mikan Amru, Hagozil Machas Banav, Pturim Mishalim. So they're saying this is the source of our Mishnah. That if it's no longer in existence, so then you don't have to pay. It's only in existence where you have to pay. However, if it is still in existence and they inherited it, as long as it's in existence, they have to pay. However, 
The Brisa, this is the Brisa quote Sumkus, and he has a very easy, straightforward, clean shita, which is Gedolim Chayavim Ketanim Peturim. Sumkus holds that Gedolim would be Chayav because, in principle, of course, everybody would Chayav so long as it's in existence. Why are Ketanim Pater? So Sumkus holds you just don't take kids to court, period. Okay? Kids never have to pay back. There's no such thing as a child in court in, in litigation over money. They don't know what's up. Okay? Now, Let's talk about a case where this applied. Bar Tarek A fascinating case. So Rivirmi had a father in law. Bar means that this is like his brother in law. So what happened was Rivirmi had a Shve, okay, who was very rich. And he had a mansion. Now, as you can imagine, when the Shver passes away, so the Shver is other kids. Right? Rivirmiya is the son in law. And he thinks that it's his place. But you know what? The Shver's own sons think that it's their place, right? Everyone's fighting over this mansion, okay? So now, what happened was, right, the son of the Shver closes the house, doesn't let Rabirah into his house. Now, Rabirah had been living there, right? So he's living in his Shver's house. And the Shver dies, now the Shver's sons move in, and it's like, get out of here. It's, they are evicting him from the house. They say, this is our inheritance. So also look at the Ravim. So Rabirah goes to the rabbi, and Amar, and, and the rabbi says, Shalohu Tovea. He says, Listen, he, this kid inherited his father's mansion. So he's kicking you out because it's his house now. So He says, I'll bring witnesses to say that I have a chazaka. We will see. There's something called cheskas about him. When you live somewhere, right, unopposed for more than three years, it becomes your place. Okay, it's an unusual case because it was the son-in-law, but be that as it may, he's saying, everybody knows this is my house, right? So all of a sudden now, he's going to claim that it's his. So Amalai, Sarvan says, but we accept the testimony, he says like this. He takes it into a different direction. Can we, right, accept the testimony of witnesses Right, Shalobifne Baldin. What does this have to do with Shalobifne Baldin? Says the first Rashi on, right, Kufiyad Bezam and Bez, by Katan Kamanda Lesa Dummy. Whenever you have a Katan, it's as if they are not even there from the purposes of, of court. So we can't accept testimony, right, either for or against them because they're not considered in court. And now that they are in court, right, it's as if now that they are children. It's as if they're not in court at all. And therefore, anything having to do with these children, right, is total, totally nothing that we can do anything about it. So just again, to review the case, the son of Ravimiya's father-in-law was still a child. And, he, and this child takes the house. So the child takes the house, and now Ravimiya wants to go to court against him, right, to say that, uh, what are you doing taking my house? Because he was kind of like living in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Problem is, the child, halakhically, is as if he doesn't exist in court. So you can't even take him to court to resolve the issue because you, it would be like doing it in, not in front of the litigants because the child is considered non-existent halakhically in court. So it's like when a child does something to you, you have no recourse, Andrew, because they don't exist halakhically. And so... Rabbi says, is that really true that we never ever can go against this? Below? We never do a testimony against a child? Like children could just do everything with impunity 
and we'll never ever call them out on it because they're not halachically there. So the Gemara Vakatani, we have a brisa that teaches you ben gedol and ben katanim chayavin. We just learned the brisa that says that if minors right inherit stolen property, we make them pay it back. So how do we make them pay it back? Right, we see they do have some degree of culpability. So Amalei, Sir Ravan said, "Harei machlokas simchas b'tzidach." Yeah, you, that's true, right? But on the very brisa that you said, Simcha says that you cannot sue them. In other words, the brisa has one opinion, but you know there's other opinions, and Simcha says you can never take them to court. So Rami says, "Amar ich bel kulei alma v'koy kasimchas lafkunin ledidi." What is everybody conspiring with Simchas to just take away my house? <laughs> right, it's like, uh, so now all of a sudden you're telling me about Sumchus? Like, uh, Sumchus? This is why, for this reason, I'm getting kicked out of my house because of the position of Sumchus? So, um, So this thing went on, as you can imagine, Phil. And it finally got to Rabbi Abo. It became the, the hawk. So, is Rabbi Yemir staying in his house or not? So, Omar, so Rabbi Abo said, has never not heard what Rabbi Yosef Rahama said in the name of the great Raboshia. The Amr of Yosef Rahama, Amr of Yosia. Right, don't forget. Right, this is Rav according to Rabbi Yosia, Rabbi Rahama is aware of Rabbi Yosia. Rabbi was an incredible Rebbe. What did he say? Let's say you have children, right, fighting over stuff. So one kid takes Takaf Be'avadav, he takes his slaves, like his goons, and goes to the other guy and says, That's my field. Okay, the bully in in uh, in fourth grade is now t- is now t- bringing his goons and taking property. Okay, ain omrim namtim We don't say you know what. Let's wait until this reaches adulthood and we'll figure it out. Yeah, we go to Malfoy and his goons and we say and we take it out of we take it away from them, right? Okay, and if he really thinks that it's his, when he gets older, we're going to let him sort it out then. But the fact is that what did we do? We made a judgment call, didn't we? Right? Malfoy showed up with his goons, Crab and Goyle, and he said, I'm taking your, I'm taking your field. And we went to Malfoy, and we, we potched him in the face, and we took it back. We said, what are you doing? You, you think you own the field? Show us the deed later. Oh. Elamai. So, so we see that we do make, pass judgment on kids. We don't just let them do everything with impunity. So me dummy says, you can't compare that case, right, to the case of inheritance. Because after all, right, taking the field away is like, right, Malfoy shows up in the playground and he has no inheritance, he has no precedent. He's just like made the whole thing up, right? And so we potch him, we say, get out of here, kid, and we just take it back. Right, but when a child actually right inherits, as is the case where in of an inheritance, or as is the case of uh, of the son, right, he opposed his brother-in-law, lo, then we can't take it away. That's a real litigation, right? In other words, when it's just a bully in the playground, so we're going to smack him around and take the stuff back. But that wasn't the case of Miriam. The case of Miriam, there was real raglaim as we say. There was real reason to assume that something inheritance really happened. I mean, it was after all, it was his father-in-law's own kid. He wasn't making a stam claim out of nowhere. Okay, it's fourteen lines down. Amar Vashi, Amar Rav Shabtai, Mekabel Neidim Shalav Nei Baldin. This concept of Mekabel Neidim Shalav Nei Baldin, Tehiba Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan thought about this greitly. Mekabel Neidim Shalav Nei Baldin. Can we really accept testimony 
in the absence of a litigant ever. So let's let's dig into that a little bit. Keep eliminating Rabbi Yosef Rechanina. Rabbi Yosef Rechanina explained the ruling as follows. Right? Sometimes you have to take testimony from a guy who's not there. Let's say the guy's sick. So what are you going to do? You're going to wheel his hospital bed into the, into the court? Or the witnesses that have to be uh, coming in? They're not, they're not well. Or his witnesses... Are, they're supposed to be going on a trip, right? They're going away for their uh, for a bar mitzvah, like I am this Shabbos, right? So they're going away on a trip. So what, you're going to say, cancel your trip? You can't go to the bar mitzvah because of the baldin? So the court summoned them and he didn't come. In that case, Rabbi Yudam Shmuel said, you know what, we can, we can accept their testimony, we'll get a proxy for their testimony. But that too is qualified. That it was explained to me that that's only if they already right summon the defend uh, that that they already opened the case and they summon the defendant and he didn't come but if let's say the case wasn't started yet they didn't find a court yet the defendant can say to the plaintiff you know I don't want to go to this court I want to go to that court in other words now we're talking about the topic of summons right when a person gets a summons so a summons is different than deciding where to go. Right? When you're still deciding which Bezdin to go to, that's not a summons yet. And so we're not going to penalize you, so to speak. It's only once you're already in the Bezdin, and then they're calling for you, and all of a sudden you're AWOL, so then we're going to come and get you. So the Gemara, Wait a minute. If they over the case, can't he say, once they open the case, right, that, that he wants to go to a different Bezdin? But that might occasionally be true, but sometimes... There's a letter from the high court saying, we want this Bezin to do it. So if the head Bezin of the RCA says, we want the Bezin in Baltimore to take care of it, then you can't say, I want to go straight to the RCA. Now you're just being annoying, right? You have to go with the court that the Bezin of Gadol instructed. Fine. So just talking about this a little bit more. Again, so what do I have to do with loan documents? Does the litigant, right, the borrower have to be there in order to verify that document? So Rabbi Yochanan Amar, there's a machlokas. Either we need him to be there or we don't need him to be there. Can we verify the shtar without the borrower in, in, in attendance? Let me explain to you why Rabbi Yochanan says that he has to be in attendance. Because Amar Kar, the Pasuk says, This had to do with an ox, right? With the, with the short uh, muad. You give testimony, you might remember this already. Because we learned this in Bavakama. Remember we said that the guy ran away with the shore because the shore has to be in court? So Amr Torah, Yova Baal HaShor V'Yomad Al So we learned that the Baal HaShor has to be there and stand with the witness testifying it. That seems to, right, that seems to indicate that the Baal didn't have to be and extend to other halachas. The Baal didn't have to be there when you are adjudicating a case. So Amr Rav, right, that Rav agrees with Rav that the Litigant, uh, the borrower does not have to be in attendance. Not only that, even if you say, don't certify it, it's forged. He's yelling against it. We don't listen to him. Why? Be, because we're going to pr- pr- proceed. We are just going to go with the evidence we have. However, the borrower says, If he says, give me a little time, I'll show you verification that the star is not good, then we do give him a little time. If he comes in a lot of time, then it's fine. But if he doesn't, if he starts to linger, then we're not going to wait. Right? Uh, Monday, Thursday, and Monday. 
Now, if he goes AWOL, we realize that the whole thing was a ruse, and the reason why he's not there is just because he's running away from having to pay back his loan. We give him 90 days. Plus, the first 30 days of the 90 days, we're not going to take his property away. Maybe he's finding the money to pay back the debt. The second 30 days of the 90-day period, we still don't take his stuff. Because then maybe he didn't find the money. He's selling his own stuff off to pay it back. Again, we're given the benefit of the doubt. Even in the last 30 days or 90 days, we say, Because we say, he found a buyer, and he has a guy that's going to buy his house, and he's going to use that house to pay back the money, but the guy who's buying his house still is waiting for his mortgage to come through. However, after 90 days, we seize his stuff. That's if he says, I'm going to give it to you. But if he never says it, he says, I'm never coming, right away we punish him. And that has to do with a, with a loan. But when it comes to a deposit, that's already in the guy's house, right? According to the, 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 with the deposit, the, the article is still in the defendant's possessions. There's no reason to grant him any time, and therefore we would not grant him a 90-day grace period in the case of a deposit, only in the case of a loan that we have to pay back. So now we're 11 lines up from the bottom of Kifiyad Beis and Beis. Everybody have a good Shabbos.